Today, I'm really excited to have Viraj Mehta on the podcast. Viraj is currently the co-founder of Puzzle, a payouts and operations platform for flexible workforces. Puzzle is backed by SF Venture Capitalists. Outside of Puzzle, Viraj is also an angel investor. And prior to Puzzle, Viraj founded Marketfly, a product studio which later got acquired. It was really great to have Viraj on the podcast because we've seen how much remote work has changed the lives of people in the last couple of years. But I think we are still a couple years removed from seeing software that actually fully addresses the problems that this brings up. And so having Viraj on the podcast discuss some of the work he's doing at Puzzle to, to help alleviate this was really interesting. So with that said, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, Viraj, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. Nice to be on here. Yeah, super excited to have you on. But, you know, before we get into the work that you're doing in Puzzle and some of the angel investments you made, I'd love to talk about what brought you to the world of entrepreneurship. And I know your story. I think you started pretty young, right? Yeah, um, actually, as a kid, so my parents moved to California or really to America so that my dad could start his first business. He He's a pharmacist and he was working just for CVS. And eventually he was like, screw this. I want to do my own thing. I don't believe in the way they do it. I think I can do it better. I can I think I can take care of patients better. And so in 2009, he moved to California. He brought me and my brother out there. And uh, ever since 2009, I've been at the back of his small little pharmacy um, in our small little town in SoCal. And I've just been working with him. Um, right. That inspired me to build a lot of my own things. I realized it's not as, e- as not as hard as people say it is. It's sort of just a jump that you need to make. Um, and it's worth it at the end. You know, he's happier. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. So that's sort of how I initially, you know, decided I wanted to do that. So I worked on a ton of different projects to, during my time in high school. Um, I'm only 20 right now. So when COVID sort of started, that's when I created my first official like business where I was like, I need to start making some money. Um, I, I wanted, I started wanting things, you know, as any high schooler does. And so I was like, right, I'm going to start making money. And that's also sort of where I, where I decided to work with my co-founder today even. Um, she's the same story. Her dad's the same small business. Um, and she had done a ton of projects and we were like, All right, we'll come together. Let's create a company. Let's create an agency where we'll build stuff for anyone who wants it. Anyone who's going to pay us, we're going to build stuff for them. Anything from uh, social media pages to actual products. And so that sort of was my first official start into you know making my first dollar. Um, right. Yeah. Oh no, that's uh, that's super interesting to hear. And I think uh, it's really interesting when I ask this question because there's so many different paths. Uh, yeah. You know, there's people whose parents have this working. Oh, sorry, I'm getting a little bit of interference. Can you? Uh, it just started. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I was just saying, um, yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting. You know, when I ask this question, there's a lot of different responses I get, you know, you have people whose who parents have never even dreamed of doing entrepreneurship, right? They've just been working for a very long time. Uh, you have people who, you know, like your, like your dad who, have, you know, run a small business and you saw, okay, this is how we can build a business and uh, and you can naturally progress there. So always really interesting to see, but it's, it's really cool that you're, you know, your co-founder and you both, uh, um, you know, you, you both, uh, you both have a similar background and then you started that together. Um, so really cool. Yeah, it's, it's wild how similar our stories are. It makes us work together a lot better. Yeah, right, right. That makes sense. Well, I know after that, you know, so you started Marketfly, we'll get a little bit into that as well. But you know, one thing that was really interesting about you was that, you know, you've gotten into the world of angel investing. Um, and, you know, that's something that I'm very interested in ultimately pursuing as well. So, you know, when it, when it comes to angel investing, you know, it's, it's very different than venture capital. So I was just wondering, 
for your own investment thesis per se, you know, what, what are the different areas that you try to identify uh, when you try to think about if you should invest or not? Yeah, I, I guess my like ideas are like super, like uh, the way I invest is like, quite simple. I either invest in people who I've, you know, been talking to recently and I just, when I talk to them, I feel uh, a lot smarter because they're able to explore something that they're building in a way that anyone can understand and that makes me know that they're going to solve the problem well, which leads into sort of my thesis is um, anyone who can make something complicated easy, uh, that's sort of what I invest in. Any chance I get, uh, the investments I've made uh, are a very clear example of that, I think, too. Right. right. That makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, that, that's a pretty good investment thesis, honestly, because uh, the most complicated problems, the most complicated ideas, when they get boiled down into something that's tangible for a lot of people, that's typically pretty well indicative of this startup can uh, you know, have a lot of success. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think one in one investment in particular that was really interesting to me was Anja Health. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, they're doing some really crazy stuff. So I'd love to like talk about you know, first off, what they're doing and, and, and then what led you to ultimately investing in them? Yeah, so they do cord blood banking. So when you're a child or when you're just born, they take the cord, the blood and a few other materials like the placenta, and they store that in a really simple process. So they're really kind of functional like an e-commerce business. Uh, when you're pregnant, they send you a box and this box is a, something that you'll bring to, on the day that, you know, you're going to go give birth and the hospital can work with it quite easily put all the materials inside of this container and they ship it out to Anja Health who Anja, and Anja Health has a lab where they take care of it. Um, and the way that people did this previously was extremely complicated and it was super, super costly just because they wanted to use old school antiquated models of business. Um, and, you know, she did it really well. She brought a SaaS-like subscription to blood banking, which made it a lot more affordable. You know, 80, 100 bucks a month is a lot better than paying thousands of dollars up front. It's just not feasible right. with the cost of birth already. Um, and then she made it really easy to manage, right? If you need access to something, you should be able to just open your phone, ask for it. It shouldn't be a whole phone call. And you know, it, there's, it, there's, it's a, just, just a big mess, right? Um, and with so much of modern e-commerce being so simple, I, I guess the question for her was, why couldn't I just bring it to uh, something that it could save lives? And, and it does uh, every single year. And so uh, I, you know, my, my entire family is in the medical business. And so when I first showed it to them, they, they wished for it. They didn't even give <laughs> my placenta or anything. And they were just like, it was just not a thought in our brains, but the fact that it's so easy makes it look like a, like a, something that you must do if you're pregnant today. So I'm happy that she's able to do that for so many people now. Yeah, that's wild. And I think, um, you know, especially there's a lot of startups right now, like 23andMe and like just a lot of biotech startups in general, they're basically working on optimizing people live based on their DNA or, you know, other like, like, for example, on Jeho with, you know, the placenta of the baby or of the mother. Um, so anyway, there's a lot like that. It's a really interesting concept there. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's super exciting. So let's see how Anja Hell does, but I'm sure they're going to succeed really well. Yeah, yeah, they've been crushing it so far. So I'm wishing them the best. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. Well, you know, we got into your experience a little bit, what brought you to entrepreneurship and your angel investments. So let's talk about Puzzle. Uh, but before we talk about Puzzle, actually, so you mentioned Marketfly. And um, I think one thing that was really interesting is that on LinkedIn, you mentioned that by the end of your time of, of running Marketfly, you uncovered a large and growing problem in the market. Uh, so I was just wondering what that problem was. And was there a specific moment where that sort of just dawned on you? Or was it like a gradual, you know, you, you gradually just looked around and you saw this opportunity showing up? Yeah, so Marketfly is that studio that I had mentioned, my, the agency that my co-founder and I had decided to build. And 
because we were just in high school, we didn't want to hire a bunch of W2 employees. Also because the promise of a job wasn't fair to them because we were in high school, we could just shut it down tomorrow. But doing contractors on a project basis made it super easy because, you know, these folks, we would just add them on when we had a gig, pay them out once it was over. It was a, it was a really great process to scale and grow that business, which we did really, really well and efficiently. And, you know, we believed in the idea very quickly that this is the best way we think business could function and sk- could scale. But, you know, after the, just the first few months of us growing, we... My co-founder and I, were, we were doing all the creative work initially and the product work, and it, our roles just completely changed over a few months to being admins and accountants and finance people. You know, we were right. ma- managing the payouts, managing the reconciliation, the taxes, and we were just so astonished that it was so hard for um, people who, you know, we thought we were smart, so we thought we could get it, but we were just so amazed that, you know, our jobs could no longer be creative, and we'd have to do this all day. And so um, initially, we thought the problem was with the actual freelancers we were hiring. You know, we thought the method that they were invoicing us was on. And so that's sort of what led into Puzzle. Uh, and so, yeah, it wasn't an immediate like, oh, we have a, this great big idea that we should work on. But it was more like a, there's some, some problem. We should go check it out and start working on it, which led us to eventually sell Barclay as a whole. Right. Right. That makes sense. And I think that it's also the timing that you guys started in, right? Like it was COVID. So this concept of freelancer is such a new concept, right? Like, I mean, it's been there for a long time, but the amount of freelancers and it actually being a viable career path for a lot of people and just the scale of it is, is, is completely new. So it makes sense that a lot of these issues, like you're mentioning, like actually, you know, invoicing freelancers and managing their taxes and finances and all of that type of stuff is something that a lot of people haven't necessarily put a lot of thought into because typically before it was, it was at a much smaller scale. So you can manage that with, with, you know, one or two freelancers, but when you have a whole team, it can really start scaling up. And nowadays freelancers are, honestly the go-to for a lot of startups when you're when you're bootstrapping or or even as you grow so uh that makes a lot of sense and i think that's a really great market for puzzle to get into yeah that, yeah that sort of leads what in, uh that leads into what puzzle is today sort of happened over the last over a year i guess is sort of how we got to where we are today um initially we were just doing that what i mentioned tools for freelancers and making it easy so that when the companies got after when the company got sent a puzzle invoice it was just easy, simple, nothing crazy, and they had their own taxes and everything was automated. Um, but today we're a little bit different from just a tool for freelancers, uh, and I'm happy to sort of just jump into that too. Sure, let's do it. Yeah, so over the last year, you know, early on, so we were hiring some of these creative services, and that's the folks that I think most people think of when they close their eyes and think freelance, they think, I'm going to go do design work, I'm going to do engineering work. Um, but w- what we very quickly realized is the people who need the most help with technology are not those folks. Um, so we spent time doing it, and a lot of folks really like the solutions. A lot of folks didn't really care for the solution, and so we were, you know, digging deeper into why that was true. And we realized it was just because they are tech savvy already; they already have solutions, or they all stitch something together, um, or they work with companies who are extremely tech savvy. Right? Your average Google isn't really worrying about problems like this. They don't. They can't worry about problems, so they just build out their own tech. Um, so we started talking to a few other folks, which eventually led us into a bunch of fields that make up a significant amount of this, something around 70 million sized uh, freelance workforce today. And it's folks in, you know, uh, medicine, manufacturing, trucking, logistics, uh, e-commerce. We've seen um, and, and a whole bunch of antiquated industries that are still relying on things like checks, cash even sometimes, uh, or if they're really tech savvy using uh, something like cash app, you know, at best. And you can only assume how many problems this would create when you think about the taxes that they have, the management of a workforce like this. Uh, cash App isn't built for this, and checks are a relatively, if not the most horizontal work, uh, type of payment that exists today. So, 
Right, right. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, I think, no, it's really interesting, man. Like when I think about taxes, when I think about visas, for example, that was one of the ones I was fascinated about. It's just insane to me that like, even now it's such an archaic system. Like you have to go onto the US government website, go through like lines and lines of documents. You don't even know if those are the right documents that you're looking at, if it even caters for your situation. It is such a terrible process. And it's, and it's like, everybody's making a startup to solve, you know, one in problem there's like 10 stars to solve one problem uh in, in a problem in a in a field that for frankly has been pretty well thought out and solved but nobody's really looking at these like issues and i think we're starting to see that now but at the same time like it's it's like if you can make these complicated tasks easy it is such an easy way to to just bring people on board because it's such a big problem for so many people yeah and that's why we think of building the solution as a vertical SaaS solution and, uh, and no other way because we think if we can touch that very first point, which we are a little bit B2B today, we are actually heavily B2B in that we serve these freelancers by going to the companies that are hiring them first. So we'll go to uh, maybe a nursing home that's hiring freelancers or a flooring company that's hiring contractors, for example, or, or installers. And we'll go to these folks and deploy these tools to the freelancers via these companies. The companies are able to pay them out really seamlessly. And since we can hit that very first point uh, of payment and of the work being created, we can also help them at the very end point, right? And that's how we built a really strong system of record, or we're building a really strong strong system of record so that we could add these integrations and make every point of their life from start to end dead simple. So things like that tax that you mentioned, it's really easy for us to go ahead and file it on their behalf because it all ran through our system. So they don't have to worry about scattering through all their checks and systems and platforms just to pay their end of year tax. But we make their lives easier and the company's lives easier. For sure. Yeah. And I think when, you know, when I think a lot of people forget that, like, you know, you focus on solving one of these issues and then you slowly build the platform and then like, you know, right now you're just focusing on, you know, the taxes and, and, and the payments. Right. And then you can build that out to like the actual initial hiring or like, or the end of the contract, the termination of the contract. Like you can go, you can really build out the platform, but it's really about first solving such a core issue, getting those customers on board and then building your platform. And I think a lot of people end up missing that where they try solving all the different issues that freelancing has. And then they, their whole product is just like a Frankenstein, right? Like they just, they're not doing anything well. So definitely I understand where the direction you guys are going. And uh, it's great to see that you're getting clients on board. Yeah, I 100% agree with what you said. Uh, most people think that it's just a bunch of aggregated APIs to create a solution. And even though you might get somewhere up to some point, eventually the solution doesn't feel very magical and breaks. Right. So we, we like to take, you know, many leaps, not just tiny, tiny steps. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, I, I think reaching out to the, those, those you know, different areas or different uh, employers is such a big part there, right? And I know, I know you guys are, I guess, pretty small right now, still trying to find, you know, I, I assume if I'm product market fit, but, you know, still trying to uh, really flesh out the platform. But when you think about growth, you know, that's an essential part to company succeeding. So if everything works out and you guys are in this rapid growth phase, what do you think your big strategies are to showcase your value both to the market and to the freelancers that you're serving? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it comes down to, actually building the most magical experience there is. Um, and that's like a really hard thing for most people to do. Very few companies have done it today. Uh, I'd say like a few include like Apple, right? Everywhere you go, everything you touch, it just feels like it's good, ready, and done for you. Um, yeah. There's something like that. And that's sort of like my investing thesis, right? When someone uses Andre Health, they, they don't even have to worry about something not working out just because it's going to be so, so simple. Um, 
And I think that's sort of what we want to do, and that's the best way to bring this value pop. We don't think it's by, you know, having the fastest growth early on and whisking anything else, but we think we can catch up on a lot of things just by truly having the best product in the market, because that's what I think it comes down to at the end of the day. Uh, right. yeah. yeah, I think that, that's totally fair, man. And I think too many people think about, okay, how do I grow how do I grow my product as soon as possible? And like, you know, the product isn't ready. It's half baked. So even if you do grow it, you know, if you have a hundred customers come on, but 99 of them are leaving like after three weeks, four weeks, then there's no point, right? Like it's way better to have 20 customers come on or 10 customers come on and retain those 10 customers a month from now. Because that's still going to be more than, you know, what you're going to get with a hundred customers and 99 of them leaving. So it's a huge part there. Yeah, there's definitely a balance. Yep, for sure, man. And I, I think, you know, one of the interesting parts about your experience there is that, you know, you're also an investor, right? So you have insight into what signs, you know, may signify that a company can succeed and, and what makes it prime for success. So, you know, when it comes to uh, when, when it comes to like puzzle, what do you think other investors should see w within the company that you think makes it prime for success or just in general? Like, what do you think makes it prime for success? Yeah, I think people should, when they're looking at the company, they focus so much on the present, on what, uh, uh, you know, value of what they're seeing. Um, and that rarely makes sense when you're looking at early stage investing. Usually everything's in a shithole. Nothing's actually working out. It's about getting there. Um, yeah. So I think the best investors I've ever seen, they really focus on, you know, the journey. They focus on you as a person instead of, you know, just like, you know, what, what do I see today? Okay, there's not enough MRR or ARR. Um, and they don't expect it to go anywhere past that. And um, I totally understand both sides. You know, the data-driven VCs do well too. Uh, but I think it comes down to the people and also what they've done so far to try to get success. So I think for us specifically, uh, a lot of the VCs mentioned our product building skills and our skills to iterate. We've gone from, a, to we haven't done like a massive pivot or anything, but we've gone through so many micro pivots and learned so much yeah. so fast. And I think that's sort of our, our key indicator of success, that we sort of are pretty resilient. We don't just like think of an idea, think we're so right and just go along with it and waste a bunch of money. We try to prove out what makes sense in this market. And we'll be very honest if we say that this didn't work out, but this shows uh, some possibility working on it and then we'll go attack that. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, actually on like a related note, I think one of the biggest issues I've seen with people who who've gone from like fang background fang backgrounds or like big tech backgrounds to becoming founders is that inability to pivot because they're so founded on their idea and uh, and, and when you're at a bigger company even as a product manager right a lot of the times those ideas are, can be validated with so many users in the market uh, but when you have a startup you know you don't you don't have those users necessarily you have to go talk to customers and build your platform but you can't necessarily just do ab testing and deploy a feature and then get instant feedback and I think the ability to, you know, not only, uh, you know, talk with customers in a, in, a, in a whole different manner than you would have at a bigger company, uh, but also be able to take advice and, and be able to juggle like, hey, this makes sense. Maybe we should pivot in this way. But at the same time, sometimes you have to step back and be like, no, I don't. I think we should still like stick with our laurels. So that's like a very acquired skill, I feel like, with, that you get by building companies. Um, so it, I mean, that definitely like, you know, with your guys' experience, it makes a lot of sense that you already have that. Uh, but I, I definitely think it's very interesting when you look at people with your background versus somebody from a bigger tech company. I think people who aren't in tech will usually think like, oh, the guy from the big tech company should be the one succeeding, but that's not necessarily the case. Right. And that's what makes tech so interesting and, and specifically startups. Yeah, no, we totally, we 
don't hire from big tech for a reason. We hire young, gritty people that, you know, don't really have any, you know, pretense on how, you know, A-B testing works or how enterprise sales should happen, right? Meta has people approaching them, so sales is quite easy. But when you don't have anyone just walking up to your front door, things are very, very different. So we like to train from like the ground up. Yeah, for sure. No, it's uh, it's very different when you're like, hey, I'm representing Meta or I'm representing Apple versus, hey, I'm representing, uh, you know, a five-person startup. You want to buy a product, right? Uh, so it's a vast difference. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the podcasts I hear outside of this one, of course, uh, it, you know, a lot of the great sales leaders, that's what they talk about, that people who are from non-traditional backgrounds, typically, the backgrounds you wouldn't think would necessarily succeed in sales actually do really well. Uh, because they have different ways of bringing customers on that they haven't necessarily seen in the past. And there's not really that expectation that, hey, I have this name brand behind me, I can sell anything, right? It's more like, hey, this is my variables. How do I find a solution here when I'm talking to this customer or potential customer? So very interesting. Yeah, no, 100%. That's sort of my co-founder lead sales at Puzzle. So she's very unique because she understands her audience. She understands that uh, they don't even they don't exist on LinkedIn as most customers you think would they don't exist online they are you know in the middle of their office on the you know on the bay managing a shipping hall right so to, the best way to approach them is bring donuts to their office walking in and shaking their hand right um, nothing else really works and she does that really well she does that every day every weekend you know she's a grinder like that so uh, that idea of building sales that way um, didn't happen because she worked at a big tech company but because she had no other idea on how to approach these folks. Yeah, for sure. No, and that's such a, you know, it's great to hear that that's like that type of sales even works in 2023 because I think most people are like, I just get on a call, you know, get in the Zoom meeting. Uh, But in my opinion, nothing beats meeting somebody in person, talking to them, shaking their hand. I think that connection is just another level. I think uh, if you're in sales long enough, you realize that if I have the choice of being in person and doing that, it's probably the way to go. Yeah, 100%. It does work much, much better. Right, right. And I think, uh, you know, one thing that with, with Puzzle is, you know, the integrations of technologies that people already use. And, you know, I, I think when we think about integrating technology, it's it's essential on a lot of products, especially for early stage startups. Uh, you know, everybody has their established products and their own ecosystem that they're part of. So you want to try leveraging that when you're building your own product. But sometimes, you know, it can be really tough to, to balance that, right? Because you have all these different services, some overlapping and, 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 you also want to make sure that you have your own value on the product itself. <laughs> that doesn't just come from the integration. So, you know, wh- wh- when, you, when you think about the integrations in your product, how do you go about keeping it cohesive and making sure that uh, it doesn't just become a whole mess? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the best way to do it is just by asking your, you know, the actual customers, what are you using and what do you want? I think most people, what they do is they just are like, okay, like people need accounting sync, right? Because there's payments they need accounting sync, so they'll add like 50 different accounting softwares, which is always an issue. So that's like a part of the problem. But I say in general, everything happens just because people don't want to talk to their users and find out what they need. Um, and I'd say that's why even when we win a sale over another you know, potential competitor, it's just because that competitor was obviously not thinking about their use case, not thinking about what software those companies use, but rather just like one of the most popular generic softwares like Google Drive or Gmail, but not like, you know, uh, any anything that's like industry specific. So talk to your customers for anything integrations related because there won't be anything to integrate if they're, if they're not using it, you know? Yeah, it's funny on a related note, actually, it, it just reminds me of like, you know, whenever I talk to people about this, uh, you know, they always bring up this quote from Steve Jobs that, oh, the customer doesn't really know what they want. And I'm like, I get, I get it. Like I get 
I get what Steve Jobs is saying, but you have to have a certain level of like your under, you have to be at a certain level of understanding your customer to say that statement and to actually like be able to succeed with it. And whenever people bring that up, especially with early stage startups, I'm like, that's like, you can't say that in your situation because you need to really understand your customer. And unless like you have like years of experience, I, you know, it's, it's, it's such an interesting uh, dynamic there. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's true. The Steve Jobs thing, it does make a lot of sense. And I'd say that it makes more sense when the customer doesn't understand what can be built versus what they need. Um, like they might not understand how, uh, you know, FinTech infrastructure works, right? Like your average human does not understand that. So they cannot tell you what they want. They might tell you that they wish they had a faster way to send checks. But if you tell them there's a way that checks don't need to exist, that's what you should be presenting. And I think that Steve Jobs quote makes a lot of sense. But uh, you telling them that Bitcoin is the answer versus cash is a, or it's some other version of payments doesn't, that's not really what, uh, I, I don't think that really makes sense though. Well, that's been my problem with a lot of crypto companies lately because, or not lately, but especially back in the day where it's like, oh, use crypto for this. But you know, you're, you're, you're not actually giving the benefit, like you're not actually telling what the benefit is to the customer. They, they don't know, right? It's, it's just crypto and, and that's all they see, which, which doesn't make any sense for most people. Yeah, man. So yeah. anyway. Uh, no, this was, well, it was a great conversation, man. Really enjoyed talking about puzzles, some of your angel investments. And before I let you go, because I know you're pretty busy, I have two last questions. With the first one yeah. being, is there a book or like a podcast or something that you recommend us checking out? Yeah, you guys should check out this podcast. You did a great job interviewing me. So thank you <laughs> for having me on. Uh, book. Um, uh, okay, this is a good one. There's a book called The Winner Effect. Um, it sort of just entails, you know, how to use that momentum of, small wins to get to bigger wins and it really helps someone uh, i think you know losing sometimes or not doing as good can sometimes make you work a little slower it always does so that book does a really good job of helping you build momentum to you know sort of get that big swing so that's a great book okay awesome man and the last question that i have is what's the next step for you and puzzle what can we look forward to yeah we we are about to go live with a few customers and we're going to release some pretty awesome case studies with them so i think uh we're finally going to prove out what we've been working on for the last year. So it's sort of a big deal for us. Uh, we're going to raise some additional funding at the end of this year, throughout this year and next year. So there's a lot of steps ahead and we're probably going to hire a ton. We're a super small team. If anyone wants to know, we're three people. We've been building this with just three folks. Uh, everything with us. So uh, we're going to be hopefully around 10 people by next year. So definitely check us out. Uh, we're we're going to be needing some help. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, I'll, uh, you know, I'll leave a link to Puzzle and, and to your profile. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, before you do that but super excited to see where you guys go uh i'm sure in a year we're gonna have a you know maybe you'll come back or we'll just grab a coffee or something and i'll get to hear all about it so super excited for that 100 man let's do it well thank you so much guys for listening and until the next one take care